Sunny 16 presents. back everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and today i'm delighted to be joined by podcasting legend guitar superhero graham jago graham how are you uh i am all of those things thank you so much for that lovely introduction <laughs> i've never heard such a pure um bullshit <laughs> to a podcast uh if listeners can hear a little bit of noise in the background that sort of sound of metal scraping on wood that is that is the bottom of the barrel being thoroughly scraped and that is your indication that it's time for this podcast to come to an end <laughs> so i'm here to put that nail in the coffin that's right no i would say i've saved the best for last <laughs> the uh ultimate story of music and photography yeah i think that's fair i think i've reached a pinnacle of both i mean unfortunately i think it's my own personal pinnacle in that it's downhill from here with both of them and that pinnacle was very low in the first place but still a pinnacle so for anyone who might be listening in and didn't hear our recent conversation up for the centennial and a half celebration of the sunny 16 presents speed <laughs> And might be uh, wondering uh, what you've been up to since you retired from the main Sunny 16 podcast, which may or may not have been an actual retirement. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. What What have you been up to, Graham? Ah, uh, what have I been up to? Um, there's there's been a lot of sitting in a chair staring at blank walls. I did that for the first couple of months. Some rocking backwards and forwards. Um, no, it's what have I been up to last year? Not as much photography as I would like to um, this year has been just nothing terrible has happened to me. <laughs> Although a few people in my surrounding have been a little less fortunate, but not my fault. But it's just been one of those years where life has just filled up all eventual spaces it can find. So I had problems with my back earlier in the year and then my ex-wife fell down and snapped a leg and that inconvenienced me so <laughs> selfish her and then the weather just it made everything keep growing now that might sound like a positive thing but as a gardener i really wish it would stop sometimes so i could just not be doing gardening so i've just been super busy all year which has made it much more difficult to engage with photography i mean i've gone out and done some stuff but nowhere near as much as i would have liked to music bizarrely has been my alternative creative outlet, which is convenient because otherwise, <laughs> why would I be here bothering you? As we were chatting leading up to this, I mean, over the, not just before recording, but over the last couple of months or so, you have amassed quite the uh, guitar collection recently, haven't you? Yes, recently being a fairly optimistic. So <laughs> I, <laughs> thanks Billy. So I, first got a guitar and started playing guitar quite a while ago now it must be getting on for 10 years ago now i can't remember we'll talk about my other musical stuff i'm sure at some point but i mm -hmm. i'm mostly a whim based person anybody who's ever listened to the podcast will know that ideas pop into my head and i'm going well i'm doing this now i can't remember what particular whim led to me thinking oh a guitar now maybe it was playing rock band on the xbox or something equally robust as that and for a while my kids were going to this great little group in the local town called the rock barn and it's where they get 
young kids to come in, form bands, kind of learn to play instruments, write their own songs, make their own music. And I'd go in with them every week and do stuff with them. And it was great. This was when they were still pretty small. I guess, I don't know, like eight and 10, something like that. And it was really good fun. And we did that for a couple of years. And that got me trying to play the guitar as well. And then they moved. They moved down to Devon. And I kind of fell off doing it as well because my motivation mm. had gone a bit then. But then at the beginning of this year, I thought I, I ought to try getting back into it again, mostly because somebody I know said, oh, I'm selling a guitar. So making polite conversation, I said, oh, that sounds interesting. Oh, I'll send you a picture. Oh, fine, sure, send me a picture. <laughs> so I ended up buying the guitar. <laughs> and then because I bought the guitar, I thought, well, I ought to make an effort to learn again. Anyway, five guitars later, here we are. <laughs> right. Let's back up. Did you? Mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of people I've talked to, their first musical experience was playing recorder as a young child in school. Did you have that experience? Barely. But yes, there were recorders. They did get blown on at school or <laughs> um, through. Well, probably both on and through at school. But yeah, I was never. So I, um, most of my school years were up in North Wales. And up in North Wales, it's about the singing. I mean, this is Wales. So the music that I got to engage with at school, certainly at primary school, was being part of the choir there and singing along. And so, yeah, that was, I mean, I can't sing worth a damn, but when there's enough of you there, it's fine. So, yeah, right. that was the main musical experience at school. But, yeah, my, my sort of early influence of the music was probably watching my dad engage with music. Okay. Um, but my dad was one of these people who was convinced that somewhere out there was the thing that he was going to be great at when he picked it up. <laughs> so he tried almost everything, including photography. Um, I certainly saw him out there taking pictures, keyboards. I'm sure he tried guitar, various things. And he'd try them for a little bit and then not instantly be great at them and then mm. put them down and never try them again. <laughs> so I, yeah, never really clicked. And yes, my main childhood memories of my dad trying to play Obladi, Oblada very, very badly on the keyboard. <laughs> really didn't inspire a great passion for learning music, I don't think. Right. Any other family members musically inclined? No, really not. My mum, so my mum did play guitar in her youth, but just mm. didn't grow up with music in that way there were no instruments around the house i suppose the the biggest music influence was the fact that my dad had his record collection and we just can't go and stick on records from that and listen to them i mean and they were the best records you know he had status quo barry manilow all the best music um he also had kate bush so thank goodness there was some goodness in there but um right but yeah other than that not my family likes music but we're not a musical family uh, i think that's mm. very safe to say okay so what are the radio options in the uk or at least when you were growing up i mean here you know we'll have let's say where i live there there may be 10 really popular radio stations in one place country music one place hip-hop one place top 40 is is that how the radio landscape is over there or do you have a main channel and they just play a little bit of everything or how does that work um i think these days there's an awful i mean as with everything these days media wise there's an awful lot of everything because of all the digital radio channels as well um so there is a lot more specific stuff you can listen to but back when i was growing up there was a lot less of that uh we do have the bbc in this country mm -hmm. and I know that you have public radio in the States, but it's very different here. And here, like the BBC is kind of the biggest deal. So right. Radio One was the channel for music for young people, essentially, kind of. So that's what I listened to a lot growing up. That's where you'd hear like the chart stuff and mm -hmm. the new and upcoming stuff. And there were also some commercial radio stations as well. Not a huge amount, again, probably because of growing up in North Wales. <laughs> not much signal get through so i used to listen to atlantic 252 which would have you know again all the popular stuff at the time but it was really i think my musical taste as they started to grow was more the listening to radio one 
later on in the evenings because that was when you get the more interesting music. It wasn't the top 40 charts of then. It was the, and this is going more into the 90s. Because, again, I didn't, when I was a kid, I listened to the music my parents had on. So up right. until I left home, went to college, that's kind of what I listened to. But then as I started choosing what I wanted to listen to, it tended more towards the indie, you know, 90s Britpop, all that kind of stuff. That's what was going on in that scene. And, and that's what I tapped into more than anything else, really. So, Right. What did you study at school? Uh, equine business management. So <laughs> in case those words don't instantly become clear, that's how to try and make a business out of looking after horses. It's really served me well in my life. <laughs> I haven't worked with horses since the age of 19. And despite being self-employed for 16 years, I still can't run a business. So. <laughs> well, one of the reasons for asking is because, you know, once you go off to school, that's when that's an important time for most people. You know, you meet new people who are into other types of music or movies or culture or whatever that is so i didn't know if that was a time in your life when your tastes in creative endeavors maybe changed or was influenced by running in different circles or or whatever they were certainly broadened yeah i mean i as you can imagine growing up in rural north wales your your exposure to anything is very limited <laughs> it's you know I, there was a the, the village i grew up in had a population of 115 and most of those were probably over the age of 70 you know it, it, you were there wasn't a vibrant youth culture going on anywhere <laughs> near me. so going to college i right. did get exposed to a lot more stuff in all shapes and forms and i think it's probably part of the reason that like that, that very unformed nature of my early tastes and then just exposure to everything all at once it's why i'm probably still fairly all over the map with regards to what i like today but it definitely did you know i didn't i don't think i listened to any heavy metal or anything like that until i went to college and suddenly started you know seeing all the people listen to that kind of stuff and yeah it was a slow burn process because it was an agricultural college so they get it wasn't the most diverse <laughs> group of people. I wasn't suddenly dropped into a group of art students listening to jazz. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, it got better slowly. Right. Well, and before we get too far away from growing up in North Wales, I'm sure you must have mentioned it at some point on Sunday 16, but I don't recall. It just How did you get uh, interested in photography? on the whim i mean essentially okay there was there wasn't that wasn't a part of your youth or an interest no. or no i mean again no more than photography is a part of anyone's youth you know oh i'd like to have a camera yeah sure great here's a camera so my dad would take pictures sometimes and so i had a camera as a kid the most photos i ever took before getting into photography as a hobby was i went traveling when i was 27 and went to australia and new zealand and obviously i wanted to take a camera with me then and i took a purple plastic print and shoot camera because that's just like yeah well this will be fine it's a camera and shot loads of rolls of film going around there and had a great time but wasn't engaging with photography as photography it was very much just this is how I keep a document of where I've been and try and take nice pictures, but they're a document. And what led to me getting into photography as a hobby was video games. Okay. Because obviously I was playing Gran Turismo, which is a racing car game. Right. And within Gran Turismo, it, this is going to sound sad. It has a photo mode, so you can take photos of the cars that you will... <laughs> racing and you can kind of set them up and adjust the angle and change the lighting and you know and muck around all those stuff and so i was tinkering around with this trying to make like cool looking pictures i thought oh this is quite good fun and somebody i knew through video games had recently started up a photography forum the pixelated photographer forum right and i thought well i've got this digital camera that i bought the second time i went out to australia just a very basic sort of super zoom point and shoot thing again fuji i'd like to have a go at actually taking pictures for real with this camera because i'm enjoying 
exploring this purposeful creativity in this video game and it's making me think about oh well how am i framing this and these are the first time i was having these thoughts about photography before then i'd just been pointing it out oh, there's a pity scene click that was it this video game made me actually start to think about where I'm positioning myself to take a picture and all that. So I went and joined up with the Pixelated Photographer Forum, started getting involved there with the challenges and stuff, started taking pictures with this point and shoot camera and started falling down the hole at that point. <laughs> um, and I think it was a couple of months after joining that, I bought my first SLR, this old Canon 30D, and kind of mm. never looked back from there, really. Okay. And just one last note on on Wales. Uh, so this is episode forty, and four of my guests, so a full ten percent, are are represented by people with some connection to Wales. That that sounds like uh, logical math, right? Yeah, I mean Wales is for its size and its population a place that is stuffed full of culture and art and the music especially like just some of the best <laughs> music comes out of wales i mean you've got tom jones you've got shirley bassey um you've got all the male voice choir singing as previously mentioned but also so much cool music you know the manic street preachers um you've got super furry animals the stereophonics gawky zygotic minky just to name just a few this is, i there are so many welsh bands that I absolutely love. And I, I think that it is, I mean, obviously, I'm clearly Welsh by import, as you can tell by my <laughs> strong Welsh accent. I wasn't born and bred in Wales. I was just bred in Wales. But there is something about Wales. And and it's, and it's not just with the music. You know, you, you, see, when you watch Welsh comedy, TV, so many amazing actors come from Wales. You know, Michael Sheen, I've been enjoying, I've recently been watching latest season of good omens and michael sheen and that it's like oh, the guy's amazing mm -hmm. yeah wales is fantastic and doesn't surprise me at all that 40 percent or whatever it was you said 10 percent 100 of your guests are welsh which is what i heard <laughs> that's right well one connection we can make and, and try to steer the conversation back to where we were a minute ago was what one of us was alex of course mm -hmm. And uh, as part of this recent guitar journey you've been going on, he's came by recently for a visit, and the two of you had the opportunity to play a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This has been one of the things for me. One of the things about learning guitar, so the guitar is not the first instrument that I have attempted to learn. In fact, it's the fourth. It's the fourth <laughs> instrument I've attempted to learn. But the big problem with the previous three one of the, well i mean aside from the fact that i was bad at them all more so with some than others is that they were very isolating in that nobody wanted to go anywhere near me when i was playing them <laughs> and one of the unexpected bonuses benefits i think of starting to actually really try and learn guitar is that it's connecting me with people rather than pushing them actively away um <laughs> right. both in terms of having conversations with people because there's a lot of people out there who engage with guitar or like guitar or like guitar music so you can talk to them about that but mm -hmm. also it's way easier to pick up a guitar and have somebody else with a guitar and just play along together and yeah alex came up recently and and he's a great player alex he's been playing for got over 20 years and he's fantastic and he's very patient and so he'll sit there and playing cool stuff and he'll do his best not to get annoyed at me walking <laughs> badly all over it and absolutely ruining his mojo but as i mentioned to you before we started recording i've also got another friend who comes over once a week who's at a very similar level to me <laughs> mm -hmm. low but despite the fact that we are both beginners very unskilled we're able to enjoy making music together and do something creative that is bigger than the sum of the parts and that's a really nice feeling it doing something collaborative doing something creative collaboratively is always great fun and it's usually quite hard to engineer it because it requires organizing and getting stuff sorted and having plans but you can just sit down with two people with a guitar and one person starts playing something and the other person goes okay i'll just follow along with that 
that's magic. That's just fantastic. And you're going to learn bass soon, Billy. We're just going to be <laughs> off and rocking. That's right. Well, uh, that is one of the questions I wanted to ask you between Alex and your friend, Adam. Uh, I, and then maybe it's a personal thing for people. I don't know. But do you feel like it's, you know, it, if there's another person who is more skilled than you, obviously they can teach you things to bring you along. But it feels yeah. like if you're with someone who's at a similar skill level, you can kind of push one another. I, do you feel like there's a is it great to have both? Is one better than the other? Do you think it just depends on the person as to which would benefit them most? Or what what are just what are your thoughts on having a person to kind of inspire you and keep you going and, and helping you get better, I guess, with any artistic endeavor? With any artistic I I think I think the most important thing is the personality of the person that you're trying to do stuff with. Because if you aren't on a similar wavelength, it doesn't matter what the relative skill levels are. And, and you're absolutely right, this kind of goes for whether you're talking about music or photography or any creative endeavour. I'm able to enjoy playing along with Alex, certainly more than Alex enjoys playing along with me, because he's quite patient. <laughs> Admittedly, he was only here for a weekend. It may not have lasted much longer. Um, <laughs> so, you know, he's he's happy to be supportive of me trying to get started and get going it is definitely easier and more relaxing i think to play with somebody who's at a similar level to me mm -hmm. but then what i get when i'm with alex is he's constantly showing me new things and pushing me more to try different things so i guess it's good to have both elements of that i think they're both valuable and again, I think this goes for all forms of creativity. I think if you've got the opportunity to do something with somebody else, even if it's just get input and inspiration from them, it can be good to be doing stuff with people who are very much on your level and on your kind of where you're at with things because they will help do you do things in the way that you want to do them. But it's also great to have people who are it doesn't make so much sense to use the word on a higher level in photography because photography doesn't kind of work like that but right. in a different place with photography or more experienced with what they're doing or have more experiences because they one won't accept the idea that well i can't really do that so i'm not going to do that as an as an excuse they'll go well no like figure it out i can do it so you can do it so try and i'll push you and also they might introduce you to things that whilst you can't do them right now because maybe you're just not quite at that point yet but it gives you something to aspire to and work towards and that's also really important i think that's been one of the things that i think it's just one of the things that i need from a hobby is a degree of challenge photography right. is challenging uh, especially the way that i do <laughs> <laughs> If, if there's no fail state, why are you even bothering? If it's not because th these things are hobbies, they're not, they're supposed to be things that are engaging us. So, what I particularly enjoy about my photography, about my darkroom stuff, about, and very much about music is that it's not easy and it's frustrating and there's a lot of getting it wrong and there's a lot of failing. And the forward movement can feel so incremental. It's like, watching plate tectonics in real time <laughs> moving but they are and when you kind of step and go oh this is better this picture is better that print is better this song sounds better than it did it feels good and so having things to aspire to that you're not good at yet to work towards is really an important part of that because otherwise you just start treading water and then Right. No, I mean, it makes sense. And this was something that came up when I was chatting with Ray Barbie. And, you know, he was a world-class skateboarder. And these are guys that are doing, you know, spins and flips and jumping off of ramps and, <laughs> and all of this. It's almost like you were a skateboarder yourself with all this technical jargon you're blasting me. <laughs> That's right. Spins and flips and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, a thing where like if you do it wrong, you could potentially break your neck or your back yeah. or something like that. Yeah. And it was, you know, asking someone who has lived that life, you know, what is it that you get out of trying to do a darkroom print? And it's like, well, it's got to be challenging. You know, that's the fulfilling part. That's the mm -hmm. reward that you get out of doing it right. It's like landing a skateboard trick. You know, you go through all of the practice and everything else that you've got to do to get to that level. And then when you land it, you know, that's that's the payoff. Yeah. And everybody gets something different out of these things. But over the weekend, just gone, I was at the Analog Spotlight and I was lucky enough to have time to sit in on one of the talks there, which was uh, about AI. And... <laughs> One of the points that got raised about a positive aspect of AI is that it makes it easier for more people to express their creative thoughts. And I'm not sure that's a good thing entirely because... And I think we've already kind of seen this, and I apologize for everybody who's about to be upset or offended by these thoughts, but Instagram, let's take photography just as the one thing we're looking at. I don't think that the fact that suddenly everyone has a phone in their pocket can take pictures of whatever is in front of their face and just wang those straight up on to Instagram for them to be put side by side with people who might be putting a lot of time and attention into pictures. I don't think that is a net good thing for photography as a worthwhile, meaningful medium because it dilutes it. Now, obviously, if people are making AI, air quote, art, air quote, <laughs> close air quote, they are putting more thought into it than just standing in front of a thing and clicking a button. But the fact that it's so easy, I don't know. There is an expression, nothing good came easy or comes easy. <laughs> and I think the more we remove any boundaries to creativity, it's likely to make for a larger volume of piss-poor creativity. <laughs> <laughs> is that awful thing to say i mean it just is no. right? it's, it's inevitable it's inevitable that there's going to be a huge amount of meaningless banal rubbish out there that's and that's right. fine except that the stuff that's important and worthwhile and not meaningless and banal will be trying to swim in the same exactly the same sea as all of this stuff and it's going to be harder and harder for that stuff to be picked out from amongst the sea and and we've already seen this with with um photography especially in the camera phone age um and it's right. not about digital versus film it's just about how easy it is to take a picture meaning that there's just way more pictures taken that's right definitely it's a thing i've struggled with i mean i don't share a lot on social media for that reason i mean i mm. just you know it's not that i don't like my pictures it's i guess i feel like i'm not adding anything to the conversation that hasn't already been said i guess if i were yeah. going to try and articulate it but on the other side of the coin you know the whole eastman kodak thing you push the button and we'll do the rest the history of photography over the 20th century was always about trying to make it easier and easier for anyone to be able to take a picture and yeah. we went from you know all of these things that came along like instant photography or how we went from you know maybe range finders to tlrs so you are sort of looking through the lens but not the taking lens and then we evolved to slrs and okay now you are actually looking at the picture you're about to take and then when digital came along we have these image stabilization technology so you can you know you're you're not getting shaky blurry pictures or you know isos and the six digit numbers or, or whatever it is you know and and so i guess i'm saying that 
uh, all of this time and money and work and effort has gone into making it easier for people to take pictures and and there's a side of that where you want to be jaded and saying well okay well these people are in the business of selling you cameras so mm. obviously they want to make it easier but there is a part of me too that thinks from my grandfather's era you know maybe he had 10 pictures of him mm. when he was young and my parents maybe they had a hundred pictures of them when they were young and for me which i grew up when it was still film so from my teenage years and younger i have maybe a thousand pictures of me but my son who's grown up in the digital age maybe we have tens of thousands of pictures of him yeah and what you started off saying about you know the stuff that we share on instagram for the world to see i lean towards what you were saying is maybe less might be better in some instances but the fact that photography in general is easier for people to be able to document their family or special occasions or something mm -hmm. like that i think that's been a great thing absolutely and and as you're saying like this is not a new thing i mean from the first kodak brownie onwards the whole point of it was you know george eastman was like no let's give photography to everyone let's stop it from being people making wet plates and doing stuff like this let's so people can go out there and record mundane life family events all that stuff and that's so wonderful right but what wasn't happening until what you know the aughts is that the entire world is being subjected to everybody's holiday pictures that's right. the thing that's changed <laughs> right um, you know it, up until the 2000s people were people who were taking pictures in that vein of their family of their holidays of this it was entirely for your own benefits for for our photo albums whatever Whereas now, pictures that previously only yourself and your family would have enjoyed, we're broadcasting those because we can. I think there is a difference when we step up to this AI art, though, because a camera, no matter, I mean, I know some of them are being really flipping sophisticated now, but you still have to be in front of a subject frame that subject up the camera might focus it the camera might do everything else but you have to pick where you're going to be at what time in what light and press that button you still have to be there and think about that and do that and how well you do even those limited things is going to affect how good that picture is i don't care how good the camera is you can have the most amazing camera possible you can still take bad pictures with it but if you're using an ai to create your picture then you don't have to be somewhere the, the thing that's always stuck with me slightly i think i saw a post on instagram a while ago with somebody saying i'm fed up with people telling me i'm not an artist because i use ai and again if you want to call yourself an artist call yourself an artist that's absolutely fine but what you're doing is saying to the machine piece of code i want you to give me a picture of a dog probably with some sort of a hat eating a shark that's what you're saying to this machine and then the machine go and you can you can say i want the shark to be pink because i like pink and i want it to be in a nice caribbean setting and i want the dog to look angst filled whilst he's eating you can tell it all of these things <laughs> but then the machine goes off and does it now if i came to you and said billy i would like for you to take a picture and admittedly, I'm, I'm laying it quite hard challenge of a dog eating a shark. <laughs> if I was to do all of these things and you went and did all of these things for me, and then I got the picture that you did for me and went, look at me, I'm a great photographer. <laughs> you'd have an objection to that. You'd go, excuse me, excuse me, just one, just one second. I think you're fine. I'm a great photographer. So it's, I don't quite understand why asking somebody else to do something <laughs> makes us the same. But again. Well, you know, the last conversation we got from Alex and Emma, I think they used AI to create a picture of Kim Kardashian eating fish and chips on a pier mm -hmm. in Brighton, maybe, or? Yeah. Yeah. So so the world, I mean, AI gave that to the world. It can't it's be all bad, right? 
<laughs> it's a better place for it. Um, yeah, I don't know how we got down this halt. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you, and I think you know this is a. It's certainly been a big debate. Who owns the right? You know, because as it is right now, AI isn't creating anything new. It's sourcing what it has access to to create this. Uh, whatever you feed into it. Mm. Um, and I, I think when it came up not long ago on the Sunny 16 Discord, you know, my thought was, uh, to, to your point, for a photograph of something that someone could stand there and take, I would still rather see the human version of it. But if AI can get to a point where it's creating images of things that aren't maybe possible or at least very easy in the physical world like an mc escher mm -hmm. painting or a mobius strip or something like that that you can't easily take a picture of in in 3d space as we know it i would be interested in seeing what these people who are way more creative than me can mm. come up with yeah, absolutely. It's it's a weird one because I know that a lot of the analog photography community, which is our community, has been quite vocal about it in both ways. But a lot of people are bent out of shape about it, and it's one of those things like there's no reason. Well, no, there are some reasons to be concerned about it. But of all the groups, analog photography users like, of course, AI is not for us. Like, we are deliberately seeking out processes that ask more from us ask more interactivity from us want us to get involved more want to feel like we have our hands firmly on the reins more than other people who are going well no i don't i don't need to do all of that stuff i'm quite happy to do it the way i am so of course we're not going to want to to hand that stuff over because we enjoy the process i mean it's like ai music is a thing already right but if music is, if you know, I'm really enjoying, I, I stink at playing guitar, I will probably always stink at playing guitar. I spend hours, most days, stinking at playing guitar. <laughs> and it brings me pleasure, it brings nobody else pleasure, but it brings me pleasure playing. So why would I have any interest in an AI thing that can make better music without me doing the, the bit of playing it? I, that's not, it's not about the end result for me with any of this stuff. It's about the process. But I, th I think there are real concerns about the environment that all of the stuff that's created with this creates for, everything, you know, for art, music, photography to exist in, because there's going to be an awful lot of it. There's, it right. We've seen a, a, an exponential growth in photography as digital became the mass thing and we're going to see an exponential growth in all sorts of other things now that ai is going to make it even easier for other people to create stuff and yeah it's great that more people can create stuff but does it all have to be thrown straight into the same hole on the internet the same hole that we're all trying to share right like you said and it was something i was going to ask you about just because it there is a musical version of this as well where maybe those barriers to entry have been lowered over the years you know mm -hmm. in, in the 50s and 60s you know you it was a big deal to go into a recording studio and record a song and and make that song accessible out to the world but now anybody can do that in their basement <laughs> and yep. probably of a higher quality than was possible certainly in the 50s or 60s and so that's i think this is a thing that has come up during these conversations as well you know who am i to say someone shouldn't record a song and put it out there on the internet but the more music that is out there means the more crap music that there is out there <laughs> the more that there is to go through to find something that maybe you connect with and, and yeah. that resonates with you yeah well it brings the general it, unavoidably because there's going to be a lot of it it's going to bring the average quality level just down a bit 
It, it has to because you're going to get idiots like me making stuff and putting it out on the internet, which will be bad. <laughs> Nobody wants that, but I can do it. I can share it. It'll stink, but I can do it. So it just brings that general average down. And yeah, I mean, and we live in a time where your social credibility carries a lot of influence over how popular your art is whether it's music photography painting whatever it is how you're perceived if you have a a strong following because people like you for what you know whatever reason you, you then your work is going to be more popular and seen by more people regardless of where necessarily whether it is of the highest quality it's yeah it's it's an interesting time for all of that stuff and as you said nobody wants to be a gatekeeper and it's definitely better that there are fewer gatekeepers or at least that people can everyone can share their stuff these days um yes there's still gatekeepers to getting record deals and stuff and prestige stuff but it's i don't know it we grew up in a time when there was this stuff so we have already got our fairly formed ideas of what we like and what we seek out and what we think is good I wonder how my kids who are 15 and 17 they're growing up in an age where they're just exposed to such a melange of stuff that is coming at them from all angles you know random youtube stuff all sorts of things that are thrown at them and i don't know how they will find their way through it i think it's i think it's going to be an interesting challenge for people who grew up fully in that environment if you lived in the 19th century or before all of the art you see if you were lucky enough to see art would have been fine paintings in fancy houses etc by, by these masters it's all of a quality if you're growing up in the 20th century you're going to be seeing most of the art you're going to be seeing unless it's your family snapshots are by people who have achieved a level they've published a book they've they're doing photography for magazines it's at a level so you see that level and go that's what aspirational that's what quality is and now in the 21st century what you see uh, uh, labeled as art is just whatever it's everything it could be amazing amazing aspirational art done by incredibly talented people or it could be something like an idiot like me has farted up onto the internet <laughs> And how are you to know which is the good thing and which is the bad thing? And I guess, again, it's a personal choice. You can make that choice. But if you see a lot of one kind of thing, you might go, well, I guess that's what good looks like, even if it's not what good looks like. I mean, again, we're using very subjective, I'm using very subjective words here, but I worry that it will get harder for people to have aspirational figures in this field because there's just so much and it's harder for to winnow out these people who we should be going oh my goodness that's amazing and you know i don't right. make any sense at all billy it's very <laughs> late here i'm two cups of tea and <laughs> i haven't eaten a hobnob in over an hour no i understand completely and maybe we can start tying this into podcasting because i wanted to talk <laughs> <laughs> Tie into what? yeah to podcasting speaking mm -hmm. of uh idiots who are able to just throw anything out there on the internet <laughs> I, de I decided to put this music and photography project together <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning about your dad looking for a thing that he might be good at and i mean in my opinion you you had a real talent for podcasting had you done anything like that before or did it just did something about engaging with strangers over the internet just come very naturally to you my history in terms of dealing with the public it, it's odd because i do a very isolating job at this point i'm a gardener i spend 99 percent of my time with the company of me um which is unpleasant I had done some public speaking before broadly because I used to work in garden centers and occasionally we do talks and stuff like that. And I always quite enjoyed doing that. I always felt bizarrely relaxed despite doing no preparation whatsoever. I don't really know where that 
part of my personality comes from and i had done a little bit of podcasting again briefly with a few people with regards to video games so i I'd, I'd, I'd done a little bit before and i'd done a little bit of speaking to people but yeah it's i think i really have enjoyed doing podcasting and i find it quite easy to just talk right. um to other people when to have a conversation i think it's because i'm i'm interested and i just enjoy the dynamic and and which is lucky because that's what podcasting is but yeah i don't i listen being good at it or not good at it, i don't know but, but the podcast medium is an, an odd thing but i enjoy it i enjoy right. the conversations yeah i suppose it's like a vent point all that comes out all the non-talking that i do all day to nobody <laughs> then just comes out now which is why you're having to hear all of my thoughts on ai and art and everything else because um, nobody else wants to hear them right <laughs> Well, I mean, and one of the reasons for asking this was just from my own perspective, and I mentioned this to Eric when I was talking to him recently, and of course, you you know, you know, when I first did this, I did eight episodes, and I called mm. episode number eight the finale, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now here we are at episode 40, and I'm saying this is the end of it, and mm -hmm. it's, you know, I guess it, there's a couple of things baked into that. The first is that I had no aspirations to be a podcaster. And we talk about music and photography. And, you know, on photography, you'd like to, you know, make this great image, the the, the Mona Lisa of, <laughs> of photography, mm -hmm. the uh, uh, an image that, you know, enters the zeitgeist and everybody knows it when they're talking about it. But most of us, you know, are not going to attain that level of skill and uh, notoriety in photography or music either, for that matter, to, to come up with, uh, you know, an album that sells, you know, a million copies or, or, or whatever. Um, and those are projects of music and photography. But the thing that I was able to put together as you know i don't know if it qualifies as a creative output but this podcast was a collection for me it's been a project a collection mm. of conversations on this topic speaking to different people about what these things mean and how they fit into their life and all of that i, I mean was podcasting for you ever did it scratch any kind of creative output itch for you i guess 100 percent. i think we were lucky oh, maybe it's just also who aid and i are as people or at least were as people back then you know times times move forward and, and the world we're living in has changed but when we started doing the podcast it was just let's do a thing there was so little around other than the film photography podcast there was kind of nothing else doing film photography at that time mm -hmm we neither of us were in the community film photography community at all neither of us were on instagram we just weren't plugged into anything so we really did just fart this thing out there into the ether with no expectations with no grand designs with no i mean i know you say like oh you want to make this it's like no we just thought it'd be fun so let's do it so we did it and and kept doing it and slowly started to learn oh there's this whole community here and slowly start to become part of that and move forward and you know and the podcast well, kind of evolved i guess or at least it kept going if not but yeah i completely i do feel like the podcast has been and so if you if people hate the podcast and especially if they hate uh my part of the podcast then this is a real warning to stay away from anything else creative i ever do because i do <laughs> think that the podcast is the best creative output that i have done will probably ever do i i'm super proud of it i'm super proud of the shows that i've been part of that of all that sunny 16 including the sunny 16 presents feed like the the whole thing i'm super proud to look and go huh that's a thing that organically grew and happened and 
I take it quite seriously what we produce. Like I wanted it to be good in our own definition of good. Obviously, I realise that as somebody whose most notable trait is talking bollocks at length, good is a very subjective <laughs> word. But I, I always wanted from the beginning it to be at least entertaining for me. If I could listen back and go, well, I found that entertaining, that's one person happy, the rest of the world could figure themselves out. <laughs> as long as I am not bored by what we're doing, then hurrah. And that never really changed. And all of the side benefits that came from that, all of the incredible people that we got to speak to, everything else that led to has all been fantastic. But yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, that's why I needed to, to kind of, draw a line underneath it at a certain point was to step back and go okay i need to step back and look at what this is and make it into because until something until you do that it's not a finished thing and so to me for me that run from one to 300 i can step back and go there you go that's a thing i was there and i did it um, will I do more? I mean, I'm, I'm helping out Rachel and Claire now. <laughs> of course I am. I'm not going to not help Rachel and Claire. They're bloody awesome. Um, and will I do more stuff in the future? I mean, listen, I'm, I'm, I was at the Analog Spotlight at the weekend working my ass off. So I, I will be about doing more stuff. And who knows what will happen and, and in the future and what my involvement will or won't be. But that's a whole other adventure to go on. But, yeah, it's... and. I think the music and photography podcast has been a fantastic thing. And, I, and I'm kind of glad that you're drawing a line underneath this phase of your podcasting. I sincerely hope that there will be other phases because I think you have a real natural talent for talking to people and the choices that you make about who you're going to talk to and how you approach the conversations, I find really enjoyable and really engaging. And so I selfishly want this to continue in some form, whatever that may be. But yeah, I think podcasts absolutely are a great. I mean, this is the thing. Like, maybe the way that I am, and like people like you are, and so many other people we know, this need to be creative is just, it is just there. There has to be something. And this year, because podcasting hasn't been there and because photography has not been an option for me then music has fortunately stepped up and, and filled that role and like i said it wasn't the first time i've tried with music either i i've tried so when i was 19 i was i tried i was going out with a flautist so i tried learning the flute and like i properly tried learning the flute i did i think i did my grade three flute exam i like really <laughs> and then i stopped going out with her and that kind of died and then many years later i was having dinner with a client which sounds i was having lunch with a client who very kindly made me some sandwiches and she had a friend over who was a cellist as oh, i really like the idea of learning to play the cello and i went and looked into learning to play a cello and <laughs> oh, whoa cellos are mad expensive and really big and that's not happened <laughs> And the following week, I went back and I was chatting to my clients about this whole brief and non-journey. Well, have you thought about learning the clarinet? Now, if anybody's ever seen a clarinet, one of its most notable features is how utterly dissimilar it is to the cello. <laughs> but tonally, there's some crossover. Anyway, I'd never thought of learning the clarinet, but the client put this idea into my head, so off I went. And right. I spent probably three years having like clarinet lessons and made again quite an effort to try and get some with clarinet and I, I'm sure I made some progress but ultimately the problem I had with clarinet was nobody wants to listen to a clarinet <laughs> ever <laughs> um, and I didn't I'm not into classical music or indeed jazz, which is unfortunate if the instrument you've learned to play is clarinet. <laughs> because what kind of music that I am into, you know, indie and punk and that kind of stuff. Um, not a lot of quite, clarinet. It's quite clarinet light. Yeah, you've spotted that too. <laughs> there's more flute in it than the clarinet. There's not a lot of flute either. I did think briefly, well, I'll try transitioning to saxophone. <laughs> but saxophones are really loud. <laughs> 
and um, domestically that became a bad idea. Um, and also I bought a terrible saxophone, <laughs> which I couldn't get to play properly. Anyway, so yeah, guitar has been the first one that is like, oh, I can really lean into this. I can really have fun with it. I can really explore the kind of music that I like playing and do it socially and all of these other things and not upset my neighbors because you can play them quite quietly. It's great. I, so you would highly recommend it? I think learning a musical instrument is a really incredibly rewarding thing to do. And, it, and especially if you learn a, a forgiving musical instrument, um, there's an artist, a musician I really love, Amanda Palmer. She is Australian. She is amazing. She has written some of my absolute favorite songs. Check out Vegemite. It's possibly one of the greatest songs ever about a yeast extract product. Um, <laughs> it's just it's an awesome song. Um, but she's an amazing musician. And she has a song. I don't. I think the title may just be called Play Ukulele. And, and the whole... The whole reason of the song is just play a ukulele. Anyone can play ukulele. If you can learn three chords in 10 minutes, you can play ukulele. You can play it. It doesn't matter. But then you can engage with creativity and have the beautiful joy of playing music. And it is fantastic. When I mean, you play guitar, Billy, mm -hmm. you know what it's like. It doesn't matter whether you're playing it well or not. When you're playing it, you feel great. When you're strumming it, it's like, oh, this is amazing. And if you pick something nice and easy to start with, then you're just going to have a good time. So I think, as Amanda Palmer says, everyone should play. Have, they cost £20, $20. Buy a fucking ukulele and have a good time. Yeah, that's, uh, incidentally, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm sponsored by Big Ukulele, which is ironic because they're all so small. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. I think I, I've listened to podcasts talking about the fact that scientists, those nerds, <laughs> they, they, they think that before there was speech, there was singing. They think that mm -hmm. music predates anything else basically in terms of our communication that we were you know like other animals we were kind of singing to each other making musical sounds before it is part of who we are as a species and to be able to engage with that in any way shape or form is just it feels good and what and however you choose to do that it may be maybe singing maybe stick on a record and sing on but as we get older we stop singing along badly with stuff and we should do more of that. We should you know, be in your car, turn up your radio, sing along awfully to it. Do whatever it is. Engage with music. It's easy. It's always there. It can always be around us. And it will keep that creative part of your brain ticking over, which then feeds and fuels every other part of your creative body. Because I certainly know that listening to music and engaging with music makes me think about other parts of my creative life it makes me think about oh i it makes me think about photography it makes me think about how i want to approach things in photography and how i want to try and i i said to you before we started like want the, an album that's just fully in my head at the moment which is you know 30 years after it's been in everybody else's head but it's um last splash by the breeders uh, an album that came out in 1993 and and i'm just really enjoying that album at the moment it's partly because it's kind of really quite a raw album like the one of the guitarists on it what's her name not kim deal she was the her sister her twin kim deal's <laughs> sister kelly kelly deal who's playing guitar on the album, learned to play guitar like a few weeks before she started playing. so like <laughs> you know i mean she's obviously just a naturally good musician but it's so the the it's quite sort of stripped down in many ways, which is makes it feel more accessible to me to try and play along with. But also, it's just a fantastic album. But whilst listening to that and trying to learn to play some of the songs, I'm also thinking about I would love to try and create a visual medium that captures some of the energy, either in one of these songs or in one of these apps. Like, could I create a zine that? captures the way this song makes me feel i don't know whether i could or not but 
I'm thinking about it. It's making me think about it visually and how I might do things. And that's great for me. Right. It might not be for anybody else, but. <laughs> Speaking of the part that music plays innately into our being and encouraging people to do whatever they can to practice it, it feels like the right uh, note to end on. Uh, Unintended. <laughs> uh, just circling back uh, quickly about the podcasting part, I would have to agree with what you said as far as this is concerned. I mean, I did want to, you know, I did want it to have a definite end, something that I could stand back. You know, I've, I've, it's been going almost two years now, which is yeah. incredible for me. I, I usually have not put that much effort into you know if i shoot a roll of film that's one weekend but this is a thing i've put a couple of years of my life into and and did want it to have a definite end something that i could stand back you know five years from now and look at and say oh yeah that's a thing i did uh for those two years and put together and and look back and have fond memories about it and certainly humbled and honored by all of the people who agreed to talk to me on it and everyone who listened, of course. You know, I, I can't imagine any picture I've shared on Instagram has reached as many people. Taking it back to that, you know, finding a thing that you can contribute something to the conversation. And this this was the thing for me. And and hopefully I will find another thing that I can do and put out there but music and photography have always been important to me you know music was my first love photography came later but it filled as important a place for me so just you know great gifts to me in my life and grateful to have had this opportunity to to share that love of these things with other people to talk to other people about it and and to put those conversations out and you know certainly very much appreciate you helping me wrap it up and bring it home and and your encouragement uh at the very beginning uh, when i pitched this idea to you uh that you thought it would be something people would be interested in so appreciate that i'm just excited about what comes next billy and i've got a few ideas um AI and spelunking, <laughs> uh, knitwear and minor crime sprees. I think there's a lot of directions you can go with the format is what I'm saying. Right. Well, I had I had thought about perfecting my uh, formula for contact lenses for chickens. Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, they can't wear glasses. They don't have ears. That's a good idea. And get a series of experts on to talk That's about right. it. And the chicken. <laughs> That's right. I think it's a good idea. And Absolutely. again, it's a niche one. See, this is why I was going to say, I mean, AI will make podcasts. Right. Which is, they will. Which is, which is, this is why AI, this is why there is a problem with AI, because it will do all these things. Because at the moment, nobody can, making a podcast requires time and effort because there's no other way around it and you put in the time and effort and made something awesome that will always be awesome and yeah as i said earlier i for one have thoroughly enjoyed this entire run and i'm sad in the way that it's ending but i think it's the right call because i think it will free up the brain space for whatever comes next, um, which I'm hoping is you learning the bass so we can form our kick-ass band, Billy. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the nearsighted chickens, I think, is what we're going to go with as the band. <laughs> and it's going to be amazing. New album coming out soon. That's right. So everyone should definitely stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Graham. Well, I do appreciate it. And and yeah, thanks for everything. You're welcome, Billy. <laughs> what do you say when you can't say see you next time? <laughs> Thank you.
thanks again to Graham and a huge thanks to all of you who've collaborated with me and followed along during this exploration of music and photography. Thanks as always to Mike Gutterman for the song Timeless, which has served as the theme song for the series. Check out Mike's Bandcamp page at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. Also, please check out all of the great shows on the Sunny 16 Presents feed. And if you've got an idea for something that you'd like to share out on the feed, you can get in touch at sunny16percents at gmail.com. It's been nearly two years since John Whitmore passed away, but when Ilford interviewed him and asked for the best advice he'd been given in his career and artistic pursuits, his answer is as timely as ever in today's world. Always try and be a decent human being.